0: Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless, I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. Today's floratory selection is salam. Hadi, your harith for the poor, O Ummi, your life is eloquent. O holy alchemists of dross souls, we are just beggars at father's door. O Kamil, crown jewel of love's design, O reason for the command of Kun, we look to your most fair example, there can be no doubt, you are God's sign. O Tayyib, Rose, with roots of insight O Sabik, sweet seed of creation O Ahid, we yearn for your cool touch Protect us from nafs, shield us with light O Mahi, come into our darkness O Tahir, cleanse our life of misdeeds Teach us secrets of the goodly loan Pray that we will be granted success O Jameh Our cups are so empty. O Hafi, please pour us a few drops. O Muhi, rekindle our desire. Help us find our way back to the sea. O Shafi, we seek your saving cure. For you are the key to healing grace. O Shafiq, you reflect God's kindness. You were sent to help us to be pure. O Wahid, there is no one like you on the earth and in all the heavens. O Wahli, what joy your closeness brings. O Wahsul, our Lord binds hearts through you. O Shahid, we bear witness that law is the act which precedes all your deeds. O Sayyid, king of a future day. O Shahid. You gave all for Allah. O Siraj, please guide us through the night, For Iblis lies waiting near us all. O steady flame of Mutawakil, Train us as martyrs for the great fight. O Muji, we long to be set free. O dear one wrapped in God's loving care. O owner of rights to intercede, Humble yet rich is your poverty. O Karim, what could we have done to deserve your generosity? All we have to offer are our faults, but praise God, you're the accepting one. O Allah, please make our faith complete. O our Lord, bring forth the bloom of love. For your most kind and noble servant, let us be dust. At the prophet's feet, O you are the Siratul Mustaqim. You are the fountain of God's Yaqin. You are the gift of Ain al Nain. O Amin, you are Amujamin. O Kaim, master of loves adab, this poor guest seeks a favor from you, Mustafa. Despite my lowly state, please accept the salams of Anab. This week's short story is titled, Asceticism. The man had been groomed to be king since he first came into this world crying and dazed. From cradle to throne he had been pampered, coddled, and given every opportunity that money and power could deliver. He liked being king. He thoroughly enjoyed the perks of royal command. He reveled in the fear and trembling which visibly emanated from his subjects when they were brought before him for matters of judgment. He treasured the fact he could buy anything and anyone, whenever such a desire trickled across his consciousness. He eagerly sought out and participated in the political intrigues that were rampant in the kingdom, taking pride in the way he was able to forge situations to the shape of his will, as well as in the manner that he consistently outflanked and then crushed even the most cunning of opponents. Life didn't get any better than this. Moreover, He wanted everyone to know how powerful, clever, and wealthy he was. So, to demonstrate his lofty status, he often would do a tour of the country in which no expense was spared, and everything associated with the tour was full of pomp and pompousness. In addition, the king would use such occasions to ensure that everyone knew who was the one who controlled the lives of his subjects. During these tours, he delighted in, arbitrarily, either freeing or incarcerating whomever he wished. As the king approached the conclusion of yet another successful tour, there was just one last town through which to triumphantly conduct his procession. He decided he would stay the night at one of the many castles around which such towns grew. In addition, he wanted to celebrate the end of his tour with a huge lavish state dinner, to which everyone in the town would be invited, and which they must attend on penalty of imprisonment. When the evening of the dinner arrived and the people of the town had assembled, the king began the proceedings by asking his royal spies whether, in truth, absolutely everyone in the town was present. One of his spies announced, Sire, There is one woman who refused to come. We warned her she would be dealt with harshly if she did not attend the festivities, but she just laughed at us and claimed that she did not participate in the assemblies of one who lived his life in accordance with ascetic principles. When the king heard this report, he was infuriated. The audacity of anyone who would try to lump him in with riffraff beggars and the poor was almost too ludicrous to contemplate. He commanded that she be brought into his presence immediately. Royal guards scrambled from the dining hall with as much speed as they could muster, fearing their master's displeasure for not moving quickly enough. A short while later, a number of guards ushered in an old woman whose clothes were tattered, and she was marched barefoot to where the king was sitting upon his throne, dressed in the most elegant and expensive robes. The woman's face was lined with a lifetime of hardship and exposure to the forces of nature, and the king's stern countenance was smooth and unwrinkled from a life free from material concerns. The king gazed with contempt at the woman. He carefully inventoried and appraised the woman's wretched condition. A smug smile came to his face. Aha! he proclaimed. You are the person who does not attend the assemblies of those who live in accordance with ascetic principles. The king again gave her the once-over, and then he raised his hand palm up and moved it in a way intended to bring attention to the surroundings. Does this hall look like it belongs to an ascetic? He extended his raised arm upward, and then both pointed with his forefinger as well as made a circling motion with his hand. Does the castle in which this hall has been built suggest its owner is a pauper who must scrimp and save to fashion merely a subsistence level of life? He peered at his apparel and with a look of arrogance said, Do these clothes that I have on appear to be those of someone who must be skilled in the art of bare survival like a common street urchin? He pointed to the men who had brought her in. Do these guards surrounding you, who would kill you with one flickering nod of my eyebrow, seem to be doing the bidding of some common pauper? he roared. ''On what basis do you affront and insult the dignity of my royal lineage?'' he inquired. And then he commanded her, ''Speak, woman! I demand answers to my questions. How do you come to the conclusion that I am a person who lives in accordance with ascetic principles?'' Calmly and without any sign of trepidation or insecurity, Due to her surroundings or the king's imposing presence before her, she replied, Sire, an ascetic is someone who denies himself or herself and establishes a pattern of living that conforms to such a principle of denial in order to achieve her or his ends. Impatiently, the king said, Women, you are not only poor, you obviously are not in control of your rational faculties. I deny myself nothing. He looked at her in an amused and taunting manner. Isn't this clear to you? Very clear, responded the woman, and then she added, And this is precisely why I call you an ascetic. The king was totally confused by her remark, and his confusion fed his anger. His face became flushed with a venomous pallor. You imbecile, he bellowed at the woman. How can I be an ascetic when my whole style of being is the antithesis of denial? The woman maintained her emotional equilibrium and was not in the least cowed by the raging force of the king's royal anger. She continued on with her explanation. Although I agree with you that with respect to this world you deny yourself nothing, nevertheless, in relation to the spiritual realm, Your indulgence in the ephemeral things of this planet prevents you from enjoying the eternal riches which grace the world of spirituality, and this is truly an exercise in great asceticism. I doff my kerchief to you, and bow before your magnificent display of self-denial, whereupon she curtsied for the king." This edition of Musical Interludes is called Inner Peace. The past is just a memory, and the future is but a possibility. How imperceptibly the present fades into what will never be again, as it becomes immersed in the mists of not-yet-realized possibilities. You are listening to the transitory, fleeting, perishable, fragment-filled remnants of the Sufi Reverberations podcast. The following meditative essay is on Ruh. The Spirit, Ruh, comes by the command of God. As a general rule, most people have very little direct experiential knowledge of it. The Spirit is said to be the locus of manifestation of love. Indeed, the proper vocation of the Spirit is nothing but love. According to Sufi masters, there is a dimension of the heart which gives expression to love. However, this facet of the heart, when it becomes spiritually active, is consumed with love of human beings specifically in all of creation in general. There is another level of the heart which gives expression to love for the Divine Presence. The love of the spirit is complementary and supplemental to this kind of love of divinity. The spirit is dedicated completely to love of God. However, the spirit's capacity for divine love, when it becomes perfected, illumines, shapes, colors, and moves the love of the heart. The spirit is described by Sufi masters as having certain qualities. These qualities are familiarity, forbearance, light, love, life, knowledge, and permanence. The familiarity of the Spirit is primordial in character. It is shaped by the experience of being brought by God from non-existence into created existence. Furthermore, this aspect of familiarity reverberates with the original covenant of commitment between the Spirit and God. The Spirit's quality of forbearance addresses, among other things, the Spirit's capacity to refrain from everything except fulfilling the condition of servanthood. Three spiritual currents run through this quality of forbearance, namely, modesty, tranquility, and dignity. Being modest in all things before God is one of the characteristics of a true servant. Moreover, through servanthood, one derives both essential dignity And tranquility a second quality of the spirit involves light this potential encompasses hearing speech and vision the servant of God hears the call of divinity and responds in order to serve the will of God through speech the servant of God also is busy with praise glorification and worship of divinity By means of vision, the servant experiences the overwhelming beauty and majesty of divinity. Love is another quality of the spirit. The love of the spirit is marked by yearning, seeking and sincerity. The one in love always yearns for the beloved and is never happy away from the beloved. Restlessness characterizes the one who is separated from the source of all happiness joy and unity. Our restlessness in this world is a reflection of the Spirit's yearning to be reunited with the Beloved. No matter what we do or try until we are wholly with the Beloved, we will always remain restless. The one in love constantly is seeking the object of love. The individual sees traces and signs of that which is sought after almost everywhere. In fact, the individual keeps mistaking the signs for the reality of which the signs are but a trace. As a result, the person becomes involved in one quote unquote, affair after another with the things of the world. The individual is attracted by things because the seeking spirit catches a reflection of the beloved in those things. The individual falls in love with the things, only discover in time, those things are not what the Spirit is really seeking after all. The spiritual journey constitutes the search of the Spirit. The Spirit seeks the only reality with which the Spirit can feel fully satisfied, complete in that peace. To sustain the spiritual journey, one needs sincerity. Without sincerity, one will never be able to withstand the trials, difficulties, and challenges which the one sought has created to test the quality of love of the would-be suitor. Furthermore, once, God willing, the quest of the Spirit has been realized through being reunited with the Beloved, there will be further need of sincerity. The servant proves the sincerity of his or her love by fulfilling the request made by the Beloved. From the Spirit's quality of life comes a variety of capacities or potentials. These include not only intelligence, but, as well, a whole spectrum of different modes of perception. When these potentials are perfected, they become tools for which the individual serves God. Moreover, these qualities of intelligence and perception become so many different modalities for experiencing, as well as giving expression to, love of God. The Spirit's capacity for knowledge entails two themes. One theme involves cognition, the other aspect concerns will. The cognition referred to here is not a reference to brain functioning, which is the usual sense of this term. The cognition of the Spirit is a matter of the Spirit's ability, when perfected, to understand through love of divinity. Love has its own unique way of knowing and understanding. When the individual comes to realize experientially, through the Spirit, the infinite breadth, depth, and richness of God's love, everything in the life of the individual becomes infused with and illuminated by such love. Knowledge and understanding both see through the eyes of divine love. Love is not passive. It is active and dynamic. That which is known and understood through the vision of divine love is acted upon. Consequently, the quality of will entailed by the knowledge of the Spirit seeks, with God's permission, to put understanding into action in the service and worship of divinity. Finally, the Spirit's quality of permanence encompasses dimensions of steadfastness and persistence Each of these dimensions colors permanence in a different manner. To be steadfast is to be constant in one's love for, service to, and worship of God. The perfected spirit is a perpetual motion machine which generates a constant reflection of divine love. Sufi masters radiate and glow with this quality of steadfastness. It permeates every aspect of their being. In addition, the quality of permanence contains the potential for persistence. Long after all traces of the body in the world have disappeared from the face of existence, the spirit will persist in its journey from God, to God, through God, by God, and with God. When we come into this world, the potentials of the spirit's capacities are unrealized for the most part. They need to be perfected. When one steps onto the mystical path, one begins the journey towards, among other things, the perfection of the Spirit. There are various stages to this journey. Different Sufi masters describe these stages in various ways. The central themes of these descriptions, however, are essentially the same. One way of providing an overview of the stages of the journey towards perfection of the Spirit is as follows. The journey can be construed in terms of nine themes. These are compatibility, inclination, fellowship, passion, friendship, exclusive friendship, ardent affection, enslavement, and bewilderment. Before one decides to undertake a journey with someone, one wants to have a sense of how compatible the companion is with whom one is contemplating taking the journey. Although the ultimate companion for the journey is really divinity, one tries to evaluate compatibility through divinity's surrogate for the journey, namely, the sheikh. If one feels comfortable with the degree of perceived compatibility between oneself and the spiritual guide, one begins to think about departure. However, before one really gets underway, there are some unresolved matters which need to be addressed. To begin with, one soon discovers there are some adjustments in one's thinking about and attitudes towards the issue of compatibility which are necessary. Most importantly, if one is fortunate, one begins to realize one must learn how to be compatible with the Sheikh. The spiritual guide is an experienced traveler. One has never been on this journey before. If one wants to reach the destination of one's journey, one had best start following the advice and counsel of the spiritual guide. This is true compatibility. One travels beyond compatibility through inclination. To be inclined to the sheikh and therefore God is to become inclined to the way of life of the sheikh. Over time, and if God wishes, one becomes inclined to the beliefs, values, actions, goals, and qualities of the sheikh. Once inclination has become established, a bond of fellowship arises in relation to the sheikh. One begins to enjoy traveling with the spiritual guide. One accepts the ups and downs of the journey and is happy to be going through all of this with the sheikh as one's guide and companion of the way. Out of the bond of fellowship arises passion. One cannot bear to think of traveling without the sheikh. One would feel lost and adrift. Consequently, one holds tightly, passionately to the hand of one's spiritual guide. Friendship is given birth through passion. One keeps nothing from the friend. Nothing is hidden from the friend. One finds comfort, contentment, and peace through the friend. One confides in one's friend with respect to all one's doubts, worries, concerns, and difficulties. And the friend helps one in with everything. Exclusive friendship follows upon friendship. One really has no thoughts, interests, or aspirations which are not centered around the friend. Meaning, purpose, value, and significance rise and set with the presence of the friend. One has been falling in love with the Sheikh since his days of compatibility, but in the stage of ardent affection one begins to feel the stirring of a deep, intense, abiding affection for the sheikh. One fears doing anything which would displease the spiritual guide. In the stage of ardent affection, even on the most storm-filled days, the sun shines brilliantly and warmly when the sheikh is pleased with one. On the other hand, even on the sunniest of days, the air is heavy with darkness and sadness when one feels the sheikh is displeased with one's efforts or demeanor on the path. At the far edge of the stage of ardent affection, one trips over enslavement and falls deeply, completely, desperately in love. In this condition, one gladly would sacrifice whatever one has or is for the Sheikh. When enslaved by love, one's life has no meaning of value except in the context of one's love for the Sheikh. All one's joys, happiness, and fulfillment are derived from being engaged in loving service to and for the sheikh. Bewilderment is the next stop on the journey after enslavement. So many different manifestations of the wonder, majesty, and beauty of love are disclosed in this condition that one becomes overwhelmed. One both understands and does not understand at the same time. In short, one is bewitched, bothered, and bewildered in a spiritual sense, of course. All through the foregoing journey, there is a growing realization within the individual. This growing realization manifests itself in a different way with each new stage. The nature of the realization is this. One's companion on the journey is far more complex than one originally imagined to be the case. The sheik is, on the one hand, a unique manifestation of all of the sheikhs who have preceded the spiritual guide on the mystical path. Furthermore, the sheikh is a unique, reflected manifestation of the entire prophetic tradition. On the other hand, the wayfarer realizes more and more that underwriting all of these manifestations is none other than divinity. God is teaching, helping, supporting, protecting, guiding, Nurturing and transforming the individual through the agencies of manifestation we recognize as the Sheikh, the Saints, and the Prophets. When these realizations come to their full fruition with the completion of the aforementioned journey of love, the Spirit, with all its previously discussed qualities, will become perfected. Thereafter, everything which is done, seen, heard, willed, experienced, perceived, spoken, known, understood, sought, and yearned for, will be in terms of and an expression of divine love. Such love will be the modest, dignified, tranquil, steadfast, persistent love of the servant of God. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion.